0: I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So as we talk about befriending faithfulness, let's first talk about Christ. In his coming to earth and dying for our sins, Jesus manifested a radical sacrificial love. Jesus is all in, no holes barred. He leaves nothing on the table. He has an all-consuming love. In talking about the gift of the Son of God, Isaiah says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God's zeal, born out of love, is what accomplishes our rescue. And This zeal, this all-consuming love, is also the freedom and joy of God. He's almighty, and so he's boundless. He can choose anything he wants, do anything he wants. What he wants is to love radically. That is who he is. That's his pleasure. That's his happiness. That's his utter freedom. And since we're made in the image of God, this God of zealous love, we were originally marked by a radical, zealous love. That's who we were in the image of God. But when we abandoned God, we were disfigured in our love. We caved in on ourselves. As the Apostle Paul says, we live for ourselves. We promote ourselves. We protect ourselves. All of our idolatry is simply an extension of our cult of self. Our idolatry always reinforces this inward bent. And, of course, it's only when we encounter this gracious God of sacrificial love that our tightly woven knot of self begins to unravel. unravel, We meet this Christ who lived a perfect life for us and bore punishment for us even when we despised him. We meet a Christ raised from the dead offering us complete forgiveness and everlasting favor with God, we meet a God who, when we helplessly trust Him, fully accepts us and embraces us, even though we 're ungodly, even though we 're so unlike this God in our love, and so this revelation of the love of God begins to unravel this knot of self it it loosens it, it breathes, it enjoys a new rest and a new hope and in this is an untwisting of that which was twisted, an unbinding of that which was bound. It begins to spread its cords and envelop others with a love that begins to resemble the very love of God. This restoration to radical love brings a shocking refreshment along the way. It's like water to a dried-up plant. Withered leaves are renewed, stems stretch out strong, flowers and fruit break forth. After all, we're made for love. That is, we're made to love, right? We're made to thrive on loving God and others, to thrive because we love God and others. Our hope of happiness, brothers and sisters, is the hope that we can love all the days of our lives. That would be a life of growing happiness when no matter the heartbreak or loss or tragedy, you simply explore how you can further love others in whatever situation you find yourself. Our hope of happiness is the hope of love. So... Love is God's freedom and happiness. It's our freedom and happiness. When Paul writes that God causes all things to work together for our good, it's the good of being conformed to the image of Christ's love. Jesus tells us that when we take on his yoke of humble love, we'll find rest for our souls. He tells us that when we love others as he has loved us, We will have his joy. We will have fullness of joy. The Lord pursues your full enrichment as a human being by forming you into the image of his love. So, first, the radical love of Christ. Second, how is this connected to faithfulness? Okay. Well, God tells us, as we've seen, that we must befriend faithfulness. To befriend someone is to care for them, right? Nurture them, bring them along, help them flourish. And so to befriend faithfulness is to nourish faithfulness, to give it wide open spaces in your life. Let all of its rich fruits multiply in your life. And and here's the connection. Faithfulness is just radical love over time. Faithfulness is just radical love over time. Because real love, radical love, is constant. It's dependable. It's unfailing. It's enduring. It's determined. It's persistent, even sometimes relentless, right? That's one of its radical features. It's always there. And you remember how Paul put it so beautifully in... 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Gordon Fee says this about that verse. He, he, he explains it this way. Love has a tenacity in the present, as believes all things, buoyed up by its absolute confidence in the future, hopes all things, That enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour itself out in behalf of others. Bears all things, endures all things. That's befriending faithfulness. To pursue radical love all the days of our lives. And so, thirdly, we've seen Jesus' radical love, what it means in its connection to faithfulness Thirdly, what about right now? What about this radical love and this faithfulness right now? You've never gotten to the third point so fast, have you? (laughs) I like this. I like doing it this fast. At this critical point in our history as a church, as we send almost 200 people to begin a new church, we're calling you afresh to the joy and freedom of faithfulness, of radical love. You have been a faithful congregation. You've given of yourselves in so many ways. You've given your time and your energy and your gifts, your creativity, your homes, your service, your worship, your wealth. We praise God for your faithfulness. We wouldn't even be here. and We wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for the faithfulness of our congregation. You've given yourselves in relationship to encourage one another and serve one another and care for one another. Now we're pulling apart into two churches. As we've said before, so many new relationships will form and we have to be ready to be faithful, to be faithful, to be open to those relationships as as much pain as there there is involved in not seeing some of our friends every Sunday, we must be faithful, right, to move in to the new relationships that God is giving us. We have to be open and faithful to the employment of more of our gifts and abilities because they will be needed. Opportunities and needs will be multiplied. All of us must be asking How might I be faithful and enter further into the life of my church, whether it's Fort Worth or Trinity, and give myself a way to meet the future needs within our church and through our church to this community? And Daniel Sneed and others that you'll see on film uh, will speak more to these things in a minute. But part of this need will be financial. We presently have funds given for in the next few years, but aside from that, we're committing the rest of those capital funds to this church plant. But here's the deal: if we continue as we are with our present giving, those funds will be depleted in a year and a half. Okay, just trying to be totally up front with you. Not only will we have not have funds for future church plants. But this would begin to cripple our ministry even in the second year and cripple our mercy and mission budgets. We believe that these two churches, by God's grace, will have the capacity to increase our giving so that this reserve money would not be depleted and that we in turn would be able to use it to plant the next church and the next and even to expand our present mercy and mission ministries. We really want to see a PCA church plant movement in Fort Worth. My vision and it'll probably take place after I'm gone is that we would have so many churches in Fort Worth that we're our own Presbytery, the Fort Worth Presbytery. Why not? Why not 30 churches? Why not our own Presbytery? For some of you, this will mean that this will be a time where you move from leftover giving, you know, the kind of 1% to 2% giving, to becoming those who are happily generous, to happy generosity as you explore how you might restructure things, how you might come to your budget all over again. For some of you who give very generously, you, we will be asking... Lord, what would you have me do more that I might even increase, that I might participate in this increase outlay? Some of you, if we were doing a capital fund drive and we were going to do a building or a you know, second building, you would start thinking about other ways of giving that you might donate to that building drive. This is a building drive. We're building the kingdom of God, right? We're building a church movement. We're building churches, multiplying churches in Fort Worth. So, it's a real crossroads for us. Will we continue into the future to plant churches in Fort Worth and even other cities and other countries? Will we be faithful to engage in God's mission here and around the world? We're calling you to the freedom and joy of that faithfulness in your participation, your gifts, your service, and your giving. I want to close with this. There's a missions group that recently changed its name from World Harvest Mission to Surge, S-E-R-G-E. Until I got on the website, I had no idea what the word means, okay? Listen to what they say about it. I think this has a wonderful application for us. Surge, S-E-R-G-E, is a verb that means joining together rough edges, joining together ragged, frayed threads to form a smooth seam. How many of you ladies knew what surge means? Oh, quit it. Okay. (laughs) What are you talking about, you idiot? We know what this means, yeah. Well, for the guys out here, I, mean, yeah, right. oh, I didn't know. I don't know what a doily is either. Okay, but <clears throat> so they go on. We believe God weaves His goodness and grace into the ragged parts of our lives, making the tattered beautiful. It's here we see His grace at the fray in our life and in our work. I love that phrase, "Grace at the fray." God's call, they say, always stretches us past what we're able to do alone. Worship and mission always leave us tattered and frayed by the struggle of faith. In fact, our struggle to be the new community of God, the new communities of God, expose our hidden flaws and loose ends. It's actually a bit scary and embarrassing. Don't hang back, though. Jump in. And we will expect the power of the living sacrifice, Jesus, to meet us by his spirit right where we most need him. That's grace at the fray. True worship is when we as believers become together a single offering up to God for the good of Christ's body, the church, and the world. This is our best and most fitting response to God's love. We're the new community that loves each other and gives ourselves for the world. I would say that's what it means to befriend faithfulness, right? So the executive director, Josiah Bancroft, I was in school with him, says this, I once heard a leader say... Come and die. Come join God's mission and die to yourself and your small dreams and your familiar places. Come and die with us in mission. Risk it all for Christ. Grace will meet you at the fray. And so in light of that call to die to self... Isn't it stunning that Christ is pictured in the book of Revelation as the lamb that was slain? His radical, faithful love is remembered and celebrated forever. He is the manifestation of God to us. We adore him and imitate him as the lamb that was slain. So it's no accident that we're told in Romans 12 to present ourselves to God as what? Living sacrifices. He says, this is the essence of your worship. It's the essence of your desire to glorify and enjoy God in the whole of your life. You are a sacrifice, a living picture of God's radical love. You image the one who was sacrificed for us. And remember, it's only as sacrifices that you are living. Okay. Only as sacrifices that you are living. Jesus proclaimed this great irony, this great reversal of life with him. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world, that is, spends it lavishly on others, will keep it forever. So those who live in sacrificial, faithful love, they are the ones who are alive. They and they alone have a true future. Those who walk in joy and freedom and hope are those who befriend faithfulness.
1: First of all, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Daniel Sneed. I'm chairman of the Deacons of Fort Worth PCA. And I want to just say amen to some things Darwin just said. This is um, looking at faithfulness but also celebrating the faithfulness that you all have already shown. And uh, like Darwin said, we, we couldn't be doing this without you all's faithfulness and service and giving. But, it, you know, it's, um, it's been called a campaign, the Befriending Faithfulness Campaign, for lack of a better word. But it's really a reconsideration, a uh, readdressing of what it means to be a faithful servant. Mixed with the challenge, of course. Darwin touched on that. It's a a mixed with the challenge to action. As I said, I'm chairman of the deacons, uh, and as such, I can tell you that the deacons want to encourage and maybe even lead you into even greater service, even greater mercy ministries, and even greater liberality. That is what it means to be a deacon, for those of us that were here this morning, we ordained two new deacons. And during that time, Darwin <coughs> mentioned that the word deacon means servant and pointed out that we're all to be servants of the Lord. So in essence, we're all deacons. <coughs> but let's look at it a little bit closer. Let's kind of look in the mirror. The name of my talk is not what it is in the bulletin, it's okay. But what I named it is, what does faithfulness look like? So let's consider what it means to be a faithful servant. Let's put a face on it. We all have resources that have been given to us we can be faithful with. These include time, talent, and our financial resources, which I'm going to call treasure. Time, talent, and treasure These are gifts from God. They are given to us by God. There's a quote that says, your talent is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. And this is true for our time and talent and treasure, all of them. But I also want to say that we, even the grace we have to be faithful comes from God, that it is his further gift to us to enable us to walk, as we've learned so much with um, Darwin's sermons on the walking in the spirit. But what are barriers to faithfulness? Or put another way, what are our excuses? What do we use as our excuses? The first is, quote, I don't have time. What we do with our time is directly connected with our priorities. What we feel is important is what we spend our time on. But we can get caught into traps where less important things steal time from more important things. And it's insidious, and we're all guilty of this. So I ask you, how important is faithfulness to our priorities? Does my time and my family's Time priorities reflect faithfulness. Let's put a face to this question, maybe two faces. Doug ands
2: Cuokum. Uh, I've been attending for for 16 years. It started back. Uh, we were so me at the Texas Boys Choir and Matt and i would go there on sunday morning for early to set up chairs for worship service gives a chance to to meet people and i remember meeting terry durrell but back then and who's still here so we've been I guess, friends for a long time
3: our family as a whole we look for a variety of in-reach and outreach opportunities and so when the kids were younger we did the setup of the chairs and then rachel and i jumped into setting up communion And then we did Operation Christmas Child and Operation Border Blessing, again, as a way to get the kids involved in, this is the way of life, this is the way of service. Then later, once we weren't in child mode anymore, um, I got more involved with the mom's ministry, trying to um, minister to them as I had been ministered to as a young mom.
2: It's always this uh, desire to want to keep things safe, uh... not get messy to keep things all neat and tidy it takes a measure of humility just to put all that that junk behind and just you know and, and, and serve serve and anyhow there times when we have served it's like well how am i going to squeeze this into our schedule but uh... we, we distrust that, that god works out the details so and so it, it's has it's made many benefits that way
3: really not always convenient to serve so I have to get over myself and my own agenda and just step out into what the Lord is calling me to do.
2: It's just too easy to, to devote time to yourself, but that's really a place of, of desolation. I mean, we need to be with, with community to really uh, get out of ourselves and just uh, be part of the body.
3: I find that that really is where the heart of satisfaction comes from. It's, it's just there when
2: you're doing what He's calling you
3: to do. You find that spot that's, oh, okay.
2: This is,
3: this is it. This is
2: satisfaction. And also a blessing just to, just to know that I'm, I'm giving life to, to the church. I don't want to take life out of the church. I don't want to add life to, to the church. First Corinthians chapter 12, the last part of the chapter, where it talks about uh, Christ is the head. There, there, there's one body. There's many members, and all members are important. We
3: are part of the body. And. We are not the head, so we need to seek, you know, wisdom from the head and direction from the head. What do you want me to be doing now? I'm not the head.
2: It really is true; it, it applies to everything we do. So it just causes us to, to work together to create unity. We all need each other, uh, and then if we take care of each other's needs here, then we're more suited to go out beyond this church to workplaces, etc., to, to to serve.
1: Okay, our second excuse that we sometimes use is, quote, I don't have talent or I don't have much to offer. God decides our gifts, not us. He gives us the talents to enable us to do what he calls us to do. We shouldn't compare our gifts with other people's gifts. Take Moses, for example. When God commissions Moses from the burning bush... Moses says, I am not eloquent, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord is angry and says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So it is God that gifts you and God that enables you. So let's put a face to this.
4: My name is Laura Keffer, and I've been here for three years. Um, I've gone on mission trips, and right now my friends and I are helping run the Good News Club at a YMCA camp. Yes, because... I'm a ballerina, and I didn't see how I could possibly do anything to serve with that, and I didn't know what other talents I had, so I was just like, what can I do? I'm a little envious of people whose voices carry well, because a room full of children, it's kind of hard being soft-spoken. In Romans 12, I think it's verse 6 or something like that, um, it talks about everyone has different gifts and we're one body, but we all have different roles to play and some are more big and glamorous looking than others, but they're all-important. I guess I would say that you do have something to offer because even just being there and being crowd control with a bunch of kids can be really, really helpful. Everyone
1: can help with something. And lastly, the third excuse is, quote, I don't have treasure or I don't have enough money. Well, there's nothing that challenges our faith more than money and what we do with it. Yet God calls us to be generous with what he has graciously given us. And in return... He promises a greater blessing. Luke six thirty eight says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give.
5: My name is Casey Cullum, and I've been attending for 10 years now.
6: And I'm Diana Cullum. I've been attending for five years.
5: Two things. One was before I was consistently giving, it just wasn't something that was on my mind. And um, it was something that I just didn't think about that. And that, that was the main challenge, was to keep that before firm of mind. Uh, and, and now that I have been regularly giving for some time, I think I almost take it for granted. And um, it's not as much of a, a worshipful act as it is just kind of a check, check mark, You know, get this done. So I think those two extremes are, are challenges that, that I have. The challenge
6: for me is considering all of what I earn as a... Um, uh, actually belong to the Lord from the Lord should be in mind all that the Lord has given me and not just this portion of oh yeah just belongs to the church but the rest of it's mine but it's all His.
5: is we've been married now um, three years and um, I've really tried to focus on cleaning up our own finances paying off debt
6: And while we've been married, we've had the opportunity to increase where we're giving and other people that we're supporting. We're kind of surprised that the money comes out of our budget so easily, and it just seems like, you know, we could give more.
5: It's in Galatians 2, verse 10, and Paul's talking about, um, talking to other um, apostles in Jerusalem, and they come to him and they say, we just want to make sure that you're remembering the poor, and Paul says that that's the very thing I want to do, and that verse since college to me has always um, just struck me that, that it was at the forefront of Paul's mind, was to help the poor, and part of that, of course, is, is giving.
6: That if you're receiving uh, from the Lord you have the capacity to give you might have to change spending habits or you know, take a hard look like when we were talking about marriage I think that for both of us you know, our spending habits changed quite a bit we uh, realized we needed to focus on learning to make do with less and uh, we've been blessed by that you have uh, capability to, to give in other ways of your time and your talents and your gifts to to support your church. So
1: there's, there's always something to give. In the parable of the talents in Matthew, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I think we need to start looking or continue looking for small things, areas to serve in that might look small but are needful, and to increase our giving, even if small. Yes, this is a challenge. To this point, we've been able to participate, as we said before, in missions and the church plan of Trinity due to your faithfulness and service and giving. And as we move forward, we have an opportunity to go down the road of continued faithfulness in mercy and missions. And this is true for Trinity also. As Darwin said our plan is that Fort Worth Pres and Trinity will together plant the next church. But who knows? Trinity itself may minister to the body and the community in ways we can't even envision now. This is truly an exciting time for both Fort Worth PCA and Trinity. So what does faithfulness look like? It looks like serving each other and serving the world. It looks like people. Maybe even people we know. So, tonight is the kickoff beginning of Befriending Faithfulness campaign. There will be time set aside in the fall in the upcoming months for the deacons to visit small groups individually to answer questions about service and to receive feedback from you. We want to hear from you what you feel we could as a church do better. Or what you have ideas for. You guys have wonderful ideas. So this fall, I encourage you to join a small group. May We Be Found Faithful.